0: I recently got my hands on some really compelling data, uh, and here, here's the thing, organizations that have made the switch to fundraises, digital fundraising platform, are seeing average online revenue growth of 77%. Now, that number is really staggering, but at the same time, you know, knowing the fundraise solution, it's also completely believable for me. I've been in this game for 25 years, helping nonprofits uh, grow and, and identify ways to level up their, their fundraising. And regularly, uh, I find myself referring uh, charities and ministries that are looking for ways to speed up their growth, to streamline processes, and to create a better experience for donors online um, over to my friends at Fundraise. So I recommend you talk to Fundraise today to see how your organization can grow uh, with Fundraise. And you can reach them at Fundraise, F-U-N-R-A-I-S-E dot Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, your home for all things fundraising and nonprofit leadership. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I've got a favor to ask. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate the show and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact in the world. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hey, this is Andrew Olson. Uh, Good to be here with you all today. Uh, And I'm really excited to have my friend uh, Noah Barnett here. He's the VP of Marketing at Feather um, and someone who has deep experience and expertise in the nonprofit sector. So uh, really excited for this conversation today. Noah, welcome.
1: Thanks, Andrew. It's
0: been a long time. We always have
1: one-off conversations that we almost wish were recorded. And so we have a lot of pressure on this recorded version (laughs) of our conversation. So I'm eager to dig in. I think there's a lot of things that you've been advocating for in our industry for a long time that just align with the beliefs and ultimately the experience of what works that I've seen over the last 15 years working alongside nonprofits. So eager to get into it and grateful to be here.
0: Yeah, no, I I am as well, and I'm grateful that you're here. So uh, before we get into specific questions, uh, take a minute, you know, I know you're well known by many in the industry, but um, there are probably still some who, who haven't had a chance to meet you personally yet. Tell tell us a little bit about um, your personal background, how you, how you got into the sector, a- and also, like, what is Feather?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, we would have to go all the way back to when I was, like, 14 or 15. I had the first opportunity to go overseas and kind of experience life outside of my bubble and so my aperture increased for the first time beyond the world that i knew and how that world operated and in that trip i just learned that there were so many different ways people lived and that there was joy that came through that whether it was a child that had been born into an unfortunate situation but was still finding joy and happiness and hope in a children's home or a Family, you know, a father and mother who are caring for their family and trying to work as gypsies or travelers like, you know, roaming around Romania, you know, and we had this opportunity to just see these different types of life. And it had a big impact on me down to one moment where we were leaving um, uh, this kind of village community area uh, just to give kind of some picture elements um, for and we were walking up this really muddy hill. And the, ki- the children of the community were coming with us and they were playing with us. We were playing soccer, hanging out with them. And one of the l- girls on our trip was holding one of these children and the child's, you know, barefoot rubbed up against her pants and left this like footmark. And all the children from the village came rushing over to start cleaning her. Hmm. And it was this instant moment of and I get goosebumps even talking about it now where it was like. They were deeply covered in mud, but for some reason, they felt like we deserved more than them or Hmm. to be clean or that the expectation was that we should do this. And it it was kind of this first opportunity where I was like, why why is there this difference in in different types of um, treatment and uh, justice and equity and, and kind of thinking through all of that? So that led me into landing after college at the intersection of what I called marketing and mission. Because I felt like there was an opportunity to use the capabilities of marketing that sell, you know, books and plastic items and things we may or may not need, but we want. How can we use that capability to amplify the needs and equity of others? First, being in international development and relief. Um, So that's where I started my career running fundraising and growth. Um, Really grateful for that. Learned a lot over the course of six or seven years. Seeing everything from, you know, retention strategies of a recurring giving program to how do we run strategic partnerships to build relationships for acquisition in our target audiences to overseeing the donor development team and the donor services team, (laughs) which I think is really interesting when you get to see both sides because we had the what we might call the everyday donor talking to our donor services team on a regular basis. So we were getting that feedback. While also talking to the development team who was, you know, working with our top five, 10% of donors who contributed probably 60% of 60 to 80% of our income. But both of those voices mattered. And I know that's something that matters to you, Andrew, and I've always appreciated that, is that every donor is is contributing to your organization um, in, in, in a same way, at just at different volumes for them but they are still a participant or a collaborator in your mission. So how do we extend this equity and relationship and connection to the cause across all of that? So either way, spend a lot of time in uh, the intersection of mission and marketing. And then for the last, I guess, seven or eight years now, I've been working at the intersection of marketing, missioning and technology. Uh, first at a company called Cosvox, which did fundraising uh, solutions for digital fundraising. And then uh, for the last three years, a company called Virtuous, which was really helping organizations adopt, adopt a responsive fundraising model, which was how do we treat all donors like major donors? And now I have the pleasure of leading the team here at Feather, where we are helping to elevate the seat marketing has at the table as part of the fundraising conversations at nonprofits, as a part of the revenue strategies but ultimately my entire career and kind of what I personally am passionate about is this intersection between marketing and mission and how technology can help you amplify the scale of that to build more purposeful connections. So long-winded way, but really grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the sector. And I've been privileged to be in rooms and collaborate with people like yourselves and so many others to kind of think about these big questions, which is how do we reshape kind of the, philanthropic relationship we have with our communities, our organizations do? And what does that need to look like in the future? Because we have a lot of challenges that are still present, you know, 15 years into my career. I know you've been doing this longer, Andrew, but we're still trying to tackle the same problems. Well, and I I, I think
0: I think we're probably trying to tackle the same problems that a generation of of fundraisers and marketers before us tried. You know, it's some days uh, a little bit daunting to think that you know, those who went before us have been trying. You know, trying for years to do the same things, and, and we're still not there yet. But you know, I, I too have kind of always appreciated the the spirit that you bring to this, um, and, and that desire to make sure that all supporters, uh, even not just donors, right, but volunteers and mm-hmm. you know, product buyers and advocates and anyone who wants to participate in someone's mission um, has a seat at the table and, and has their voice heard in a meaningful way. I'm curious, um, with the the work you did at, at Virtuous and the work you're doing now at Feather, um, what did you find was the, the, the biggest challenge? And I don't mean like a business challenge, like you had to grow by X percent or anything like that. But in, in this whole idea of trying to adopt that, that, you know, sort of responsive mindset, to, to treat all donors or all supporters in an equitable way. What was, what was the biggest impediment to that, that you experienced?
1: Yeah, a few things come to mind. One is often we look at downstream metrics. So let's say donor retention and donor retention has historically stayed pretty flat, sub 50% for at least as long as I've been watching it track. Yeah, same. And your organization might be at 70%. Your organization might be at 20%. There are a lot of reasons why there might be a delta in your donor retention, but either way, it's all less than we would hope. Yep. The solution typically then turn or the conversation then typically says, wow, this is unbelievable. We need to adopt a new strategy to be able to change the narrative on donor, donor retention or supporter retention. The difficulty with that is the conversation typically stays at the strategy level, (laughs) but what I've been, what I've learned and I've seen firsthand in my own work is that every strategy is powered by the system, the organization adopts. And when I say system, I'm referring to the platforms, like the technology platforms you might be using, the software you might be using. But more importantly the people and the processes you're using Hmm. to fulfill that strategy and if we only have a strategy conversation you get head nods excitement that's what you know fills a room at afp or whatever conference or network you're at it's what gets people head nodding and you know thumbs upping on linkedin But at the end of the day, when we move that back into the organization and try to operate against it, it falls flat because we've just decided we want to adopt a strategy. We haven't gone downstream and said, okay, well, how do we really evaluate the systems that we have internally that are going to enable that strategy to be successful? And so too often the strategy becomes scraps on the floor and frustration continues and metrics don't change and ultimately you know, the beneficiaries and the supporters of your cause don't see any of the value that you intended because we didn't solve the problem completely or holistically. And some might argue that this is change management. I think others that I've talked to, and I think this is where I would land is that we need bold leadership. Like systems changes are hard. When we talk about breaking down silos, quote unquote, or changing the narrative on treating all donors you know like major donors or realizing that major donors right now are giving more to your causes and covering up a big issue i know you talk about yeah. and many of our colleagues and friends talk about which is that we're seeing less and less people participate in the philanthropic process uh donor acquisition is slowing donor retention is slowing and it's being overridden because we're looking at it as a dollars and cents Yep conversation, not a people conversation. And if we measured ourselves on the success of the people, there might create more urgency in bold leadership, stepping up and saying, hey, we're not just adopting new strategies, we have to change how we operate. Yeah. And that's a systems conversation. No,
0: I think you're, that's spot on. And, and I, I would agree with you. Um, I I often say that this is all about leadership, right? It's it's about culture, it's about leadership and, and you know, the question I typically ask when somebody says we, we want to get, you know, better at, you know, uh, retention and improving relationships, my first question is, great, how have you changed your budget to align with that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And and
0: normally I get a bunch of blank stares. So, yeah, you know, I, th- I think the the point you made is, is spot on. So tell us... Um, Tell us what Feather
1: is. Yeah. Or updating job descriptions yeah, for or sure. asking people to rethink workflows uh-huh. like within their organization. or be like, hey, I know you used to do this, but like, what if we did this? And again, it's an operating, I call it systems, but it's almost like the OS that operates your organization Yeah, is. is what powers the strategy. So just because you say you want to do something doesn't mean the operating systems yeah. are in place to do that. And the people in the processes conversations actually harder than the platforms. I've luckily been able to work for great technology companies, and we've been able to help organizations power their systems change. Yep. Um, One, you know, Beth Fisher at Mel Trotter Ministries is a friend of both of ours. And like seeing what their success was, yes, was built on a platform change, but there was a huge input on the people in the process change to make their success a reality. It's not just a technology problem. It's a people and processes problem. And I think that's what technology companies and people like myself get called out because like platforms aren't transformational. They're just tools to empower people and processes to be more effective at what your strategies are. Yeah, And I've always been an advocate that's like, yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Yep, But the platforms <laughs> matter. Enable the people and processes to change and evolve. So yeah, I can talk about this for ages. It's really interesting. We need more bold leadership to do systems change.
0: Yeah, I I actually uh, I was on a call with Beth yesterday, and and she was mentioning the the this very thing and saying that you know the biggest challenge she had in that implementation was convincing the organization that the the systems and the processes were broken, right, and and that it did require everyone to make a different set of decisions. Right. And, and those decisions mm-hmm. are frightening and they they come with risk. Right. Not just for, you know, the the person who's implementing something, but for the leader who's saying, well, I'm going to make a six figure change here in, in an organization mm-hmm. that, you know, is a seven figure organization. Right. So so we're talking at least 10 percent of my budget is at risk, potentially, um, you know, and and uh, putting your reputation on the line for that kind of thing that like there's. There's real emotional risk there. And and so you do have to be Mm -hmm. bold and and lean into some things that might not be comfortable. So I totally agree.
1: Yeah, I want to add a caveat here because I think bold leadership can be oversimplified Hmm. to be like, oh, we just need more people like Beth, which we absolutely do. But they are taking a risk that's against that's fighting against an incentive structure that's misaligned in organizations yes. to take risks. Yes. The reason I say not just leadership I it takes bold leadership, because often in nonprofit environments, based on how we're set up or how we've just decided to compensate people, to be honest, I think sometimes we opt that it's an external thing when I think it's still an internal accountability uh, and <laughs> measurement conversation. <laughs> but there's misaligned incentives. like. If I made a 10% budget decision in my organization at Feather, and it was right, I would have personal benefits, both in salary, compensation, bonuses, and future opportunities that aren't as common or innate in a nonprofit, which actually has then a positive Delta of, let's say one or two on a 10 point scale, where the negative Delta is like five, six, seven bankrupt, or just emotionally like, wow, I made the wrong decision. Yeah so we have a lot of sediment built up that is actually fighting against change. So where bold leadership comes in is you're actually going against the incentive structure in your organization and saying, we are going to do it a new way. And that's
0: really hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I well said and, and very much agreed. Um, let's, let's move to a different topic. I, I'm curious. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but for, for everyone listening, what is Feather and why did you decide to go there?
1: Yeah, so Feather is the good marketing platform purpose-built to help nonprofits better know and connect with their audiences. And what I mean by that, which is kind of ties into the second part of your question, is we as nonprofits are in the collaboration or community business, not the commerce business. And so our role, both for our current supporters and our future supporters, our prospective supporters, is to create connections with them throughout wherever they are. So maybe it's there in their inbox, maybe they're on social media, maybe they're at an event, uh, maybe they're actually watching the news or reading a recipe and there's an advertisement there, or they're looking at their mailbox and there's a direct mail piece. But part of the role of the organization is to build these purposeful connections across all the different channels that your audience or your community may show up on. And here at Feather, we wanna help nonprofits specifically do that in a more audience first versus channel first approach and be able to measure success. The common things we hear when we talk to nonprofits is given that change is constant, competition is ever increasing, and there's competing priorities internally, the organization opts in response to one of three strategies They either do no marketing, they do everything and focus more on the ings of marketing, where they're doing everything from TikTok to telethons to billboards to events, et cetera, Because they're just trying to cover their bases, like, we're going to do everything. Or they're doing one-off things, like, hey, we're going to do a Facebook ad campaign this Giving Tuesday because we're going to try it. But it's still a channel-first approach versus an audience-first approach. And the challenge with those things is they produce unreliable results. And the confusion in reporting gives many of your listeners a common question, which is, what's actually working? And so Feather is designed to help organizations take an audience-first approach, knowing that where and how we connect with our audience is ever-changing. And so we take almost a channel-agnostic approach that enables you to connect using digital advertising, email, social. And we're continuing to evolve those channels that we support Um, but that's really what we're after is how do we help organizations build purposeful connections with their community, both their current and their perspective, um, no matter where they are. Okay. That's good. So, so, and what excited me about that opportunity is I think it's such a challenge as a marketer myself, you know, I did marketing at nonprofits and I've done marketing since is I see those same issues in my own work where i feel there is an incredible opportunity to tap into the capabilities of marketing to enable um, some or to reverse some of the challenges we're seeing which is decreased engagement from our audiences decreased donor engagement and participation etc so i think marketing is a huge opportunity to help elevate nonprofits and their strategies and i felt feather is uniquely positioned to be doing that and they're actually one of the few organizations from a technology standpoint that's trying to advocate for having marketing be less of a services um, function and more of a strategy led Hmm. function inside of the development offices or for the whole organization, you know, marketing touches everything. It's more about the market, not just the Ings. Hmm. We forget that too often. And I want to be a part of the solution and Feather's doing an amazing
0: job at that. That's very cool. So I I have a couple of follow-ups on that. You talk about like the difference between audience base and channel base And, and on its face, that makes sense to me. But one of the, conversations I have with a lot of organizations, kind of like you described, you know, they're they're sort of taking the shotgun approach where they're everywhere, right? And and often when I ask why, <laughs> I get the answer of like, well, you know, we just we we want to reach everybody, right? How how are you counseling organizations to even before they adopt this audience-based marketing approach, to even understand where their audience really is and who their audience really is? Like what Talk to me and talk to us a little bit about how that plays into the conversation.
1: Yeah, so part of it is adopting first a learning model, not a not a linear model. (laughs) And so we want to be right before we press send. (laughs) And unfortunately, by pressing send, we're getting closer to being less wrong. (laughs) And I think that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. So that's my first thing is that you won't you'll never know for sure. However, there are a lot of signals within your audiences, both in their intent, and the context of the relationship you have with them, which is going to enable you to not only decide which channels to use, but also what content. But we can't choose what content or what channels we wanna use without first looking at and trying to understand who our audiences are. And when we talk about audiences here at Feather, it's not just that you have a single audience or, oh, Hmm. here's our ideal donor persona. It's that you have a variety of relationships that are common amongst a smaller group of segment, a segment, let's use that, that you want to figure out and identify what segments do you have. So, for example, I was leading an education course recently with my friend Dana Snyder, and I the topic was how do you. continue to build momentum following end of year.
0: Okay.
1: And the thing I shared with them is that when you think of, okay, we had all this end, of, we had these end of year donors. How do we cultivate them now in Q1 in January, February, March for them to give again in 2023? Which is a great strategy. It's a great question. But the question I challenged them on was you had people that you engaged with, that didn't give. Okay, so now that you have another segment from end of year, that's not just end of year donors, you have end of year non donors, you also have then people that came to your website, that you engaged through maybe advertising or emails or some of the other channels you were doing that didn't respond, you know, who responded, you don't know who didn't respond. But by using smart, good marketing tactics, you could say, hey, I want to target everyone that came to my website, but I want to exclude all of the people that donated. Well, now you have another segment. You have website visitors that engage with us during year end that didn't donate. I have donors that I reached out to that you know were previous donors that didn't give in the last 60 days of the year. Now I have donors that did give going one step further than that. If I look at the donors that did give, was it the donors first gift? Or was this their fifth gift? Or they've been giving to you for seven years. And so the thing about understanding your audience is just using the data, both intent and context, and beginning to create micro segments so that then you can choose, okay, now I understand how I'm gonna cultivate them by choosing what content and what channels I'm gonna use. Uh, And knowing that this is somewhat new and a very difficult thing to adopt for the first time, we've actually been working here at Feather To develop what we call the good marketing framework which kind of expresses how to do this uh first focusing on understanding your audience then cultivating them by choosing relevant content and channels to then activate them to some sort of conversion and that could be an email sign up a website visit a video view a donation a phone call a meeting with your sales team whatever it is or your your development team but then ultimately learning more because now you just got new information Mm -hmm. by trying to cultivate them that's why i said when you press send, you want to be right, but what you're really doing is you're becoming less wrong and that's a learning model. So that's going to inform how you cultivate that relationship with them going forward. And that's what we're trying to be advocates for with that audience first, good marketing approach.
0: So I'm glad you brought up the, the framework because I, as you were describing everything, it logically made sense to me, but I imagine, I remember when I was running an annual fund program at a children's hospital and scrambling at, you know, 4.57 on a Wednesday afternoon (laughs) to just get an email deployed uh, and not even having the time to think about, okay, well, how many segments do I have in this email and what are the variable messaging, you know, or data elements and, you know, how do I make this relevant to each different audience? Because we were just moving so fast, we had to get something out, right? And I think a lot of organizations Mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, fundraisers and marketers still live in that arena of like... I have nine hundred and thirty four things to do in this week and I can barely think about deploying a campaign, let alone all of the micro targeting and, and segmentation and things yep. like that. So like Yeah. Uh, if I, I would if, love to speak to that yeah, a little please. bit.
1: Yeah, because I, I think I think there's a couple things is one, we are giving of our time to something. So when we say we don't mm-hmm. have time to do certain things. I love that. It's not a it's not a it's not a I don't have time to do this. I'm just choosing to use my time in other ways or I'm required to use my time in other ways. So the one thing I've seen that's important is twofold. One is that by most efforts on nonprofits, at least teams I've engaged with focus a lot of energy on things that have a one to one or a one to three impact. They're like static efforts. Mm. So it's like we are going to send the November thing, and that's what we're focused on. We're trying to get this email because we said we were going to do something or our fundraising goal is this. So it's organizational first thinking that then comes out and we need to get this done, which typically then has a one to one, one to three output to it because it's, it's, a, it's a point in time, static campaign, static effort. What we saw and I, I'll, I'll point to even some of the work we did at Virtuous, but we're also seeing this with our Feather clients is that when you move your thinking from static campaigns to dynamic campaigns that are based on uh, kind of life cycle stages of your supporters. So it's not, hey, here's our November thing, but it's when someone gives to us for the first time, what do we want to happen then? Or when when someone gives to us for the fifth time or they've been giving to us for five years, what are we going to do when someone comes to our website and they leave the website? What do we want to happen then? And so you're focusing your time and energy on setting up these dynamic efforts or dynamic deployments based on audience behavior or audience attributes that can have now more of a 1 to 10, 1 to 20 effort, because now every time someone qualifies or kind of walks into that or trips that wire, for lack of a better word, that campaign will now deploy. But again, it's that it's that boldness of like the systems we have are designed to execute one off campaigns yeah. when we want to run them versus changing to no. we are cultivating a lifecycle relationship with them. And so when we stand up something like a new donor welcome series, which is a very common one, we are solving the new donor welcome series problem for now at least 12 months, maybe sure. more yeah. because you might evolve from that. But we kind of stop there and then we're like, oh, well, everyone else just gets dumped into the campaign motions we do, which is we send four appeals, we send a monthly email, we do this, that and the other. And you go back to the activities part of marketing instead of the market part of marketing. Um, And that's that's a big shift. The other thing I was gonna mention is we still, as a sector, haven't adopted automation as much as it's useful. And I'm not exactly sure why, I have some hunches But even something as simple that we're seeing clients at Feather now use is everyone listening to this that's ever sent an email to 10,000 people or 1,000 people or 100,000 people, you work day and night and stress down to the point where you press send. Then we press send, and then we typically get a score on that performance in the first two hours of us pressing send on whether all of our prior effort worked or not. And then we evaluate how we, what we will do before we press send again based on that input. The thing that's interesting about that is it's still all oriented from our experience to getting the site and send, when what actually matters is like, when does someone actually wanna receive this information? And so here at Feather, for example, clients that might wanna send a monthly appeal can put the monthly appeal together and basically say, send this email to someone this month when they see an ad that we're doing on social or when they visit our website or when they qualify based on whatever criteria or send it to them on the 24th of the month. So you're basically setting it up at the beginning of the month to say, hey, when the timing is best for the donor to receive this because they're already engaging with us through some other channel, send them this email because I don't need to know my results in two hours because I'm setting this up to happen sometime this month, based on what the software is helping me understand about the engagement of my audience and sending it at the right time. So now the stress of that moment doesn't become like, did I send it at the right time? Was 9 a.m. on a Tuesday? Was right. that subject line the best? <laughs> the questions now becomes like, how do we get more engagement from our audience so that we can send the right messages at the right time to the right people? Which I know is a very common advocacy thing. But again, that's powered by automation and it's powered by dynamic campaign thinking. Versus like static campaign. Like we're launching this campaign on Tuesday. It's like why? (laughs) Maybe maybe your donors are like. Really caught up in something on Tuesday. And you're going to like base your success on two hours. Right. And then stress. Because you're not sure how many emails you can send. Before people hate you. And it's like. that's like There's all of these stressors that come. Because we have this like static campaign thinking. I think there's just an opportunity to push to the side. And reorient around the market. Versus just the inks.
0: Do do you think. That's that, that existence of that, uh, thinking is, is just because it's how it's always been done. Or do you think there are other factors that are, that are putting pressure not to change on organizations?
1: So the answer might be both. I think again, given that change is always constant in the market, Mm -hmm. um, competition's increasing. And then prior, like competing priorities internally on most people just result in us doing the best we can with the tools we have, which I think is more of, you know, what we learned or what we gleaned from direct response fundraising best practices. Like all of us were taught, you know, we might just pull forward and run that. Yeah. Or honestly, hey, you know, 80% of our giving comes from 10% of our donors. Like I can't, and I'm just going to focus on the 10%. And then that 10% becomes 8%. But now the gift amount goes to ninety percent, and that's it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy that we're like, oh, we're focusing on this. The giving's increasing. It's becoming a more important segment, so we're focusing right. on it more. And that's all I can do. And so that's where we're going to go. Um, other factors of it is I th- think we are still as a sector uncomfortable with modern ways to connect with our audiences. Hmm. Um, and how to think about a multi-channel connection environment. And, and on top of that, you know, even how we still are held accountable internally, how we measure success might be, oh, the direct mail program is, you know, functioning like this and here's the ROI versus the digital people, which might be the intern or the youngest person in the room because they're the one that maybe understands email right. is now off doing email. And we're trying to prove that channels or programs work versus orienting ourselves around around the audience. So I think there's a, there's a, an acumen gap in how to use these tools, which I totally get it and it's it's complicated, but we have an opportunity to tap into modern ways of connecting with our community to really amplify our cause. And I wanna be a part of amplifying that. So I think that's where I spend a lot of my time is, is helping democratize the tactics that maybe others use to grow their businesses or to grow their communities and how do we translate that for those doing marketing, not marketers, which is a big priority for Feather. Is yeah. We don't wanna tax someone with the requirement that their identity is quote marketer to do marketing. We all are doing marketing and we can tap into doing marketing to improve our fundraising goals, improve the way we build relationships, improve how we recruit um, volunteers or patrons to come to our establishment. Doing marketing is something we can all do. Yep. and you don't have to be a marketer, and so that's a big thing we're advocating for here at Feather.
0: Yeah, it's it's really funny you say that. Our we have a director of marketing at Dickerson Baker, and, and just last week she said, you know, hey guys, remember, we all do marketing. Like I I am a you know she, she's got I think two people in her team, right? She said we are a two person team, but all forty of us should be doing marketing for the firm and i agree with you i think in the nonprofit yeah. sector same thing I mean, you know when i when i used to work at russ reed i we had a, a colleague uh named dave stewart and he he was a sales guy and he he was you know would famously kind of walk around the office and remind people remember sales is everybody's job and I think the same thing mm-hmm. applies here although i'm curious because that uh that intersection of marketing and fundraising right we mm-hmm. often, I, I still see it regularly. This friction of a marketing department versus a fundraising department or a development department, um, with different goals, often different leadership, sometimes different tool sets, right? Um, and and different um, different marching orders. How do we get to the point that you're talking about, where we are creating these, you know, sort of thoughtful. Um, artful, automated journeys and, and audience-based uh, experiences and, and, and engagements for our supporters when we have this sort of false wall between those departments and those people that, that are keeping uh, many organizations from optimizing around uh, value and, and around audience experience versus channel budget and, you know, department goals.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer the question from three angles and maybe have a bonus for it okay. by the time I'm All done. Right. Because <laughs> I tend to be thinking out loud and I hope that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll start from the person in marketing's perspective. Okay. What could you do to help solve some of these challenges if you find yourself in this situation? And I was just talking to a brilliant market, he's chief marketing officer at an association, but I think his words still hold true for... Uh, nonprofits and 501 C threes and charities. As you said, we, as marketers need to take our jobs as marketers, as being the ones that find out what's going on in the market and surface those insights back up in the organization proactively, um, instead of asking for a seat at the table or being, or being brought in earlier in the process, we need to be, as I mentioned at step zero. We need to create the conversations about what's going to help us increase our engagement with our community. Let's say you're a museum or an arts organization. How can marketing pull external resources on data, looking at the crossovers between our patron data and our donor data and figuring out kind of where those intersections are and kind of surface that to say, hey, if someone comes to our, 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 our facility six times a year, they give four times more than others. So by us marketing more patrons instead of competing for when we send a fundraising email versus an invite them to the performance email. If we realize that by sending them more performance invitations, we then later on in the process, increase the opportunity to connect with them and, and, and tap into their philanthropic giving. Like that's a collective thing. And here's the data that shows that then you can change the conversation that it's not fundraising and programs disagreeing on who gets to send an email this week, you know, to the community. It's like, oh, we have a collective communication strategy. Yeah, it's like fundraising isn't going to see that and programs isn't going to see that. Marketing can actually be a proactive source to say, this is what's actually happening. Hmm. Huh, how should we be thinking about that? And so this idea of being in marketing and not focusing all your effort on the ings and focusing more on the market and being a translator or ambassador for the market internally, um, I think is a first step if you're in marketing. So think about yourselves as a market ambassador and you do things to Hmm. connect them to your cause or to your community. Um, That's the perspective of the person in marketing. I think the second perspective would be someone sitting in fundraising, realizing that the donor that they are trying to engage is also a part of the broader community and they aren't their donor. (laughs) They're they're a supporter and part of the community. And so it's important for you to then realize that the success you have in fundraising is the connections they're having that are created or owned by other people in the building that you may or may not be reporting to or being able to influence. But being able to see, okay, well, we know that the donor engagement is broader than just them giving us financial resources or them taking my phone call or my coffee meeting, but they do come to our facilities. They did volunteer they were engaging with our online newsletter stories and impact those things matter so like respecting the other connection points <laughs> that others in the building have with your supporter and the influence has on that is it's a perspective change that i think opens up more c- creative conversations with your colleagues yeah than a protection mindset which is like this is my donor can you not send them the monthly newsletter they don't I'm focused on them. You right. know, I hear this often. Or Don't send board members anything. I own the board members, so I'm going to cultivate them. <laughs> and then a board member is like, I didn't know we had this thing going on. Why didn't I get that? Yeah. And then we're like, well, because we were told not to send you anything. Yep. And now you feel disconnected.
0: Yeah. Because, but, you know, but now the guy so in the golf portion that you like, these are complained. mine. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, or someone in the Gulf for some said, oh, did you see that really cool impact story on X, Y, and Z and how the organization partnered yeah. with blank. And it's like, no, I didn't see that. And now they look silly because they don't feel connected anymore, which is the key thing. Right. Again, we're in the collaboration business. Like we're trying to keep people connected and participatory regardless of their level of giving, not just commerce and transactional. And so I think there's a big difference between commerce business and collaboration business. And we're in the collaboration business. So that's the fundraising perspective. I think the other person in the room would be the leader. Like if you're the CEO or the executive director, sure. I think it's imperative that you have priorities and goals that waterfall down through the organization. And so if we have this bottoms up only goal setting where marketing is setting their goals and fundraising is setting their goals, and they're allowed to compete because it doesn't waterfall down from the strategic priorities and focuses of the organization and basically saying, we are focused on these things. Like everyone is going to help us increase retention and we're gonna monitor retention you know, collectively. And so if you have initiatives, they need to roll up to these. So like a, a goal setting framework I've been really thankful for is called um, the Entrepreneurial Operating System yep. or EOS. Yep. But all of these frameworks, even though that might not sound like something for you, start with this top down waterfall where everyone's goals have to roll up to the top three to five priorities of the organization. You cannot have a goals that don't do that. So that enables you as your 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 colleagues or your peers down below to say, okay, well, I'm in fundraising and development and I have these goals and they roll up to, you know, this retention goal or we want our donor community to increase marketing might have some engagement goals or some, you know, hey, we want to have this many people come to this or we want to increase our social following or our email engagement but that also rolls up to retention. So you, at least in disagreements, can go back up up the tree a little bit and say, we all agree we're focused on donor retention. We're just coming at it with this approach and you're coming at it with this approach. But it's not marketing thinks this and fundraising thinks this, it's that like we're both coming up with solutions for this common goal. And so as a leader, that's on you. You have to set those common goals and push those down, which then enables better conversations between your you know, fundraising and development teams. Um, and marketing the fourth one i'll mention just quickly is it also goes back to platforms and technologies if people Mm. operate within platform silos yeah they only are learning within those silos they don't have (laughs) access to the same information that you have and so their context is skewed based on what they're seeing so for example which is really common is you may have a marketing team that's working in certain tools, or they're working natively in platforms like social media or whatnot, or they have an email tool. And then the donor management system is either separated, or at least they don't talk to each other. And the challenge there is that then like, you don't have they don't have a full holistic view of the donor, and neither do you. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up being expressed as a disconnected experience for uh, the supporter, who's just a supporter of your organization, right? Not your marketing team or your development team. I, there's a con, There's a concept in, in for-profit businesses. There's a role that's been getting a lot of like positive um, adoption mm-hmm. called um, revenue operations. Mm-hmm. And revenue operations sits across things like customer service, sales, and marketing. But I think there's a translation. And I know um, my team at Virtuous and I had talked about this. And I've had lots of conversations with others about this is that there might be this role for like fundraising operations or a revenue operations role that looks at it, not just from data, but is actually a strategy leader and like what system or what um, are helping with some of that systems changes. So both platforms, people and processes that enable collaboration. So actually having a operational function, that's a strategy ops in your teams, I think could have huge impact over the coming years. Um, and we're seeing small versions of that, where marketing and development's being collapsed under a single kind of senior leader. Mm-hmm. Um, however, then tips two, those senior leaders and those functions aren't always thinking about the operations side or the systems design on how they can collaborate. So I feel like there is a role fundraising ops or revenue ops within a nonprofit that I think would be really powerful. Um, and significant and that's not an it leader or no someone. it's no, actually it's like not. a strategy leader in fact driving ops uh
0: i've got a very good friend i don't know do you know ben strout by any chance Is that name yeah i've heard yeah he
1: was at um food for the hungry and then he was at charity water
0: no right i'm pretty no. sure uh no different 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 Ben. Yeah, he he <laughs> he was at pursuant for a, a time uh and then was at okay. uh, christian broadcasting network and a couple other places but he's he runs a company called Velocity Strategy Solutions, and it, it's uh, in part a RevOps uh, consulting firm, and he's been doing a lot of work with a handful of charities who are are starting to understand the value. Um, I, I, I think it's few and far between right now because it is such a new role, um, but I, I think you're absolutely right that someone who can sit in, in a central strategic function and speak to all those elements is, is probably in the future gonna be very critical.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or and if you don't have that in your thing now, I think whoever those individuals listening to this in their organizations, if you take more of that revenue ops mindset, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to be more and more important to the organization. And not just for the sake of just you being promoted, but I do believe that the leaders of these functions ongoing aren't going to be the ones that grew up in comms and then rose to the ranks or grew up in, you know, uh, major gift development and race through the ranks. Currently, those are the types of leaders I'm seeing more often in the senior roles. I think we're going to see more of these like marketing ops data people that have a handle on the, on the bridge between qualitative data and quantitative data. They're going to be taking more of those strategic roles. So if I was mid career or earlier, I would say, how do I get more involved with the data conversations? How do I get more involved with those ops less, you know, it's not like, deciding what the outside of the, the mailer is going to look like. And it's, you know, not as sexy or fun, but it's like, no, this is what matters. And I think those, um, those that have that skill set are going to get promoted more and more, uh, as we move forward, data is going to become deeply essential and understanding that data will become almost more important. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I remember pr- almost 15, 20 years ago, someone saying to me, if you really wanna excel in this business, understand the data well, right? And, and I don't even think at that point that I really understood what she was saying, but I, I think you're exactly right. We are um, just about out of time. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. Um, but uh, I, I wanna ask you just one final question. Uh, for someone who is thinking, gosh, this seems like a lot, you know, where do I even begin? What's, what's What are some, first steps that someone should take if they want to start to adopt this kind of, start to adopt this kind of thinking and and acting within their organization
1: yeah we have some resources on this at feather so if you go to feather.co uh, i be happy to share something in the links um, we did a flight school session so we do these once a month where we dive into kind of a deeper analysis, like how to you know this is more of a conversation about what to and we get into more of the how-to. And so I think that would be a good primer um, for those that are looking to adopt um, a more, or adopt a good marketing approach versus a, a typical marketing approach within their organizations. The other, it sounds counterintuitive because I think we as high achievers and as those that are doing good work, as you mentioned, like have a lot on our plates. But I think we just have to slow down and take an index for a minute and get out of the ings and focus more on the market. Like who is our audience? Who, what segments do we have? How are we cultivating them? Um, what does that look like today? Are there opportunities for us to think about our audience, not just as donors and non donors, but maybe there are two or three other segments you could focus on first, then go into the, how do we cultivate them with content and channels? Spending that time stepping away and creating margin to just understand the market or your audience as a replacement, then going back to doing the Ings is going to enable you to focus more on the Ings that are most effective and give your team the confidence and clarity of, of, of why you're doing something and the relevance it's going to have to the market versus we have to do this thing and we're trying to convince our community to connect mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. If we see our jobs as our role is to actually cultivate connections with our community and activate them to get involved, activation is not conversion. Activation isn't convincing. It's unlocking potential that was already there. It's like a catalyst. And I think if we just saw ourselves as we're just trying to be guides to those in our community on how they could collaborate with us or collaborate with others to make whatever the impact is, There's a lot of power in that, but it starts with first understanding and identifying your community and who they are. Spend more time with your donors. Yeah, Not asking for anything, but (laughs) asking about them. Yeah.
0: 100%. Noah, man, thanks for being here. This is a great conversation. Um, How do people reach you?
1: So the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. So just search for Noah Barnett on LinkedIn, and I come up, there'll be a lightning bolt there next to my name. Um, So it makes it easier to know that you have the right Noah. And if you want to connect with the work we're doing at Feather, you know, we're trying to lead this good marketing, uh, movement where we see that marketing is good, but good marketing is good with a capital G. And we believe that marketing really has the power to make a huge impact. Um, and the organizations that are adopting it are seeing that show up in how they're flourishing versus those that aren't, that are flatlining. So check out feather.co it's feather without the last E so feather.co. Um, and we'd love to see you on one of our monthly sessions, um, or even on the podcast. We have a podcast called marketing unplugged, um, that I host where we do a lot of these same conversations. So if you prefer that medium, check out marketing unplugged, um, wherever you can get your podcast. So awesome. Thanks for the time, Andrew. Yeah.
0: Thank you. No, it's
1: good to, good to finally get to record with you. Absolutely. We could go on for hours, so we should probably just let the people go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Andrew. Thank Thank you all for listening.
0: Thanks again for joining us today for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review so we can get our message out to more nonprofit leaders. And as always, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at Andrew at andrewolson.net. Be well, friends.